Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host Gemma and today I'm going to be talking about obesity in chickens. Books and websites that I used as reference material for this episode are the Chicken Health Handbook by, by Gail Damaro, Fresh Eggs Daily by Lisa Steele, and then I also use two websites, mypetchicken, all one word, dot com, and scratchandpeck, all one word, dot com. So first things first, let's talk about the primary causes of obesity in chickens. And they're pretty straightforward. So number one is inactivity. If you keep your chickens in very small enclosures, or you don't encourage them to roam around and exercise. Number two is energy-rich food. Number three is the cold-hardy breeds, which are prone to gaining excess fat. And some of these breeds would be like New Hampshire's or Plymouth Rocks. What are the signs that we can look for that give us a clue that our hens are getting fat? We'll notice things like poor laying. Usually overweight hens don't lay well and they're more prone to reproductive issues because of the pressure of the fat tissue pushing against their reproductive system. You will also see things like poor shell quality, rough shells, thin shells, things like that. Sometimes you'll find they've been laying eggs at night time. You might also see frequent multiple yolks inside a single egg. And finally, prolapse. So prolapse is when what should be inside of your chicken comes out of your chicken. It's most commonly seen as a anal prolapse or the very um, end of the reproductive system coming out through the vent. So how can we check? Aside from looking at our chickens, how do we know if they're fat? I mean, a lot of chickens are very, very fluffy. So one of the main ways to check if your hens are overweight is to look at the area below their vent. If it's bulging or dimpled, that hen is fat. When we're doing a necropsy, so that again, that is a animal version of an autopsy, so when we cut open a dead animal to assess the condition of their body, how much fat that we see during this process is too much. A healthy chicken will have some fat throughout all of their tissues and a fatty pad lining in front of the abdomen. That's completely normal. This fat pad is used as an energy reserve during times of poor forage or through the cold winter months. Younger chickens tend to have a smaller, thin fat pad. Older chickens have a much thicker fat pad. And hens tend to have a thicker pad than roosters of the same age. Old, inactive chickens can actually have shockingly large amounts of abdominal fat pads that almost completely fill the abdominal cavity, especially if it's an older chicken who is no longer laying eggs. Chicken fat is usually yellow in appearance, but it can also be white, pinkish, or even grey. The colour of the fat is influenced by the chicken's breed, age, diet, and overall health. So let's talk about prevention. 
In order to prevent getting chonky hens, we need to be offering a well-balanced diet, some kind of activity, so for a lot of us who free roam, this is a good benefit, not too much grain, especially corn, and then giving healthy treats such as greens and vegetables, while limiting high-protein, high-fat treats such as nuts, seeds, animal protein, etc. And we want to, again, limit the corn that we offer as well as other high-carbohydrate treats. In terms of what we feed our chickens, uh, well, really most of us will be feeding a pre-made chicken food, whether it's crumbles or pellets. I know there are some really dedicated people out there who actually make their own chicken food, which I've always found extremely impressive. (laughs) But uh, most of us buy uh, it pre-made. So when we're looking at a good feed for chickens, there are some things that we can keep an eye out for. So broiler or meat birds need much higher protein requirements than a laying hen or a laying rooster breed. So a meat bird starter feed is usually within the realm of 20 to 23% protein. Layers have much lower protein requirements. So chicks up to around six weeks of age need a 20 to 22% protein. This is often sold as a starter feed. From seven weeks to the point of laying, it's best to offer a feed that's 14 to 16%, and this is called a grower feed. And then once they're laying, they move to the layer feed, which tends to have between 15 and 18% protein. Most all-purpose layer feeds that I've seen offer 16, 1-6% protein. Now, you can buy your feed at your local farm store, at big chains like Tractor Supply and Rural King, Or as I said, some people make their own. Now, the Chicken Health Handbook by Gail Demereaux has a very easy to read guide on formulating your own feed, complete with ingredient weights in both metric and imperial units. So for example, when making 100 pounds of feed, Demereaux recommends that coarsely ground grain, so corn, millet, oat, wheat, make up about 46 pounds for starter, 50 pounds for a grower feed and 53.5 pounds for layer. Ingredients that Demero recommends in general to make your own feed would be coarsely ground grain, wheat or rice bran, soybean meal, peanuts meal, cottonseed meal, safflower meal, sesame meal, meat, fish or soybean meal, alfalfa meal, although she does note that this isn't needed if you are pasture-raising or free-roaming your birds, bone meal, rock phosphate, a vitamin supplement, yeast, milk powder, ground limestone, marble or oyster shell, and trace minerals, including iodized salt. What do I personally feed? Um, I love the idea of making my own chicken feed, but that's a lot of work, and I think from the prices I've looked at would be way too expensive. So I have three main pre-made feeds that are uh, used most often here on the homestead. So firstly, I use Grubly's Fresh Pecks layer feed in either crumbles or pellets. 
And this feed is designed for chickens 20 plus weeks of age. It has 16% protein, crude fat at 5%, vitamins, minerals, soldier fly grubs, which is the grublies themselves, and marigold. They make a note that they don't contain soy, corn, fish, or fillers. And this is a very good food from a company that is also committed to reducing food waste. And they do focus on things like recycled and recyclable packaging, which is a big bonus for me. The downside is that this food is expensive. It is $44.99 for a 30 pound bag. That comes out to $1.49 per pound. And if you go for the 60 pound bag, you'll be paying $82.99, which comes out to $1.38 a pound. So it is a small savings to go larger. The pellet option is quite easy for the chickens to scratch through and just take out what they like. So the first time I offered this in pellet form, the chickens would just take all the grublies out of it and sort of kick the pellets around and create a lot of waste. So I have found that giving the crumble tends to reduce the amount of waste that the chickens create while they're digging around for the grublies. With my English Orpingtons, which are big birds with equally big appetites, this is not an economical feed. So what I usually do is I buy a bag every, uh, every couple of months or maybe every six months, like three to six months, and I kind of use it as a treat for the chickens, like a way to add variety to their diet. I start by mixing some of it in with the regular feed and then eventually just give it to them outright. So when I'm not feeding grublies, I am feeding Neutrina NatureWise layer feed in pellets or crumbles. And this is uh, made up of 16% protein and 2.5% crude fat. So it's a little lower in fat than the grublies. It contains vitamins, minerals, pro and prebiotics, marigold meal, thyme, rosemary, and some other assorted herbs that are said to be beneficial. It's much more easy on the wallet at around $19 to $21 per 50 pounds, which is only 42 cents a pound. It's also sold at tractor supply stores and probably at places like Rural King. I've never been to Rural King because tractor supply is so much closer, but either way, I think it's much more accessible. The downside is that although this is overall a good quality food, it does contain a fair amount of cheap filler ingredients like soybean oil, vegetable and mineral oil, and grain byproducts. That That's the kind of like junky stuff that isn't great but it's not the end of the world either. I find that pellets and crumbles work just the same. My flock doesn't really have a preference. I prefer pellets because I find that they make less waste with this food if it's in pellets than in crumbles. Occasionally I will also be feeding Neutrina NatureWise Feather Fixer. So it's the same brand as my layer feed but it has a higher amount of protein and fat. So it has 18% protein and 4% crude fat. And this is what I feed my hens when they're going through their seasonal molt. So as a reminder, our chickens, um, well, adult chickens, will molt in the fall and sort of going into early winter. It's a natural process of shedding their old feathers and growing new ones. And during this time, they need more protein to help them generate the energy and to build those new feathers. 
So this feather fixer has the 18% protein, the 4% crude fat. It also has like the layer feed, vitamins, minerals, pro and prebiotics, marigold meals, and then a mix of herbs like thyme and rosemary. It's $21 for 40 pounds, which comes out to 53 cents per pound. So it's a little bit more expensive than the layer feed. And as I said, this is my preferred feed for the molting season. The downside is that this only comes in pellet form. So if you have fussy hens that will only eat crumbles, this is not going to work for you. But I'm sure there's plenty of other brands that will offer a higher protein option for molting season. Now, when I was first looking into chicken obesity and looking at what can cause it, it led to the question of, well, how much does an average chicken eat within a day? And a variety of factors will affect how much food each chicken will consume. And this includes weather, temperature, activity level, breed, age, and overall body condition. In hot weather, for instance, chickens will eat quite a bit less and you might need to adjust their diet to feed a little more protein and more calcium. In winter, you'll also see that chickens tend to eat more because they need the energy source to keep themselves warm. Chickens should always have access to a good balanced feed as well as fresh water. It's so important that we don't let their food and water feeders become empty. Restrictive feeding is only needed for meat birds if you want to slow their growth or weight gain. Otherwise, it should just be standard practice that your chickens always have access to a balanced food and water. Older chickens can become kind of lazy, and as a result, they might need a lower protein and lower fat food to compensate for their inactivity. Now, this can be tricky if you have a big flock with old hens and young hens, and it can be hard to figure out exactly what we should be putting out for them. I think in general, if you have a good, basic feed at around 16% protein, you should be mostly fine. Now, according to the Chicken Health Handbook by Gail Damero, she suggests the following guidelines for feeding chickens. So for a, a bantam, you would be feeding half a pound or 0.25 kilograms per week. For a light-bodied breed, you're looking at about two pounds or one kilogram of food per week. For dual purpose, three pounds or 1.5 kilograms per week. For a heavy breed, four pounds or two kilograms. And for a broiler or meat bird, you're looking at 10 pounds or 4.5 kilograms per lifespan. And just as a reminder, their lifespan is very short due to the rapid growth, which brings them up to table weight very quickly, but is very, very difficult on their bodies. So we've talked about how much chickens eat. What if your chicken is not eating? So if you find that your chicken, either many of them or just one, isn't eating, here are some things to consider. The feeder might have been placed in a location that's hard for them to reach. Maybe you don't have enough feeders per chicken. So low-ranking chickens can be bullied away from the feeding area, which is why I like to have at least two feeders out per flock. 
maybe you switched food recently and you did so too quickly, which makes for fussy chicken sometimes. So instead of just immediately switching to a new food, you can mix the two foods, the old and the new together for a while and gradually transition until you're just feeding the new. It's also possible if your food has been in storage for a long time that it might be mouldy or rancid. So always like give it a little sniff when you open up a bag. Maybe the feed is too high energy and as a result, the chickens are eating less of it, which would be a normal self-regulating process. The problem would be here is that they're eating less of the feed. Potentially, there's a risk that they might become low in needed vitamins and minerals, which in turn can lead to a decreased appetite. And again, like I just said, if you have a feed that is deficient in vitamins and minerals, you'll notice the depressed appetite. And in particular, chicks that are deficient in salt or vitamin B will stop eating suddenly. It's also possible that lack of access to water can decrease appetite. Higher temperatures during the summer will often cause a dip in their appetite and then obviously disease or illness of some kind. So we've talked about why our chickens might not eat, how much they eat in a day, what's recommended to feed them. Well, what about treats? Because we all love to give our chickens some treats, right? There's nothing more fun than having them run to you or watching them peck at the whatever you throw on the ground. So treats should make up no more than about 10% of a chicken's diet, with the exception being what Lisa Steele calls green treats, which can be fed freely. So green treats are kind of what they sound like. Grass, weeds, lettuce, all kinds of greens, parsley, Swiss chard, berries. And then she put in this live bugs, which aren't green, but it's what she's referring to in general here is that a green tree is anything that a free roaming chicken will forage for naturally. We don't have to worry about that when they're foraging. So some healthy treats that you might want to offer can include fruit, which has been seeded, um, pitted, and then you've got things like melons, berries, and dried fruit, but not dried fruit that has had added sugar to it. So be careful if you're going to the grocery store to purchase dried fruit. For vegetables, you can offer all kinds of gourds and squash, root vegetables, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower, Then there's like bell peppers, fresh corn, beans, peas, etc. In moderation, you can offer grain, seeds and nuts. And in this uh, group, I've included things like bread, cereal, crackers, oats, cooked pasta and rice, flax, millet, safflower, sunflower, almonds, cashews, peanuts, walnuts and popcorn. And obviously for all of these, these should be... um, completely unsalted and there should be no added sugar and if you're offering any kind of nut it should be shelled in advance. You can also offer some meat and protein in general in moderation. So you can offer live or dried insects, raw or cooked ground beef, cooked chicken (laughs) if you want a little cannibal flog but they they will definitely eat it, Uh, turkey, lamb and pork. You could also offer seafood if you live somewhere where it doesn't cost a fortune to have seafood. And then you could also offer eggs, either raw or cooked, as long as you made them without oil. 
as a side note, so I got this guideline from the Chicken Health Handbook by Gail Damereaux and the Fresh Eggs Daily by Lisa Steele. So this is kind of what's recommended. Personally, I don't feed any meat to my chickens. So I don't feed them beef, turkey, lamb, pork. I definitely don't feed them cooked chicken. Um, If I want to offer protein to my birds, I prefer insects and eggs. And I would actually consider seafood, but it's too expensive. (laughs) If I'm not eating seafood, my chickens cannot eat seafood. What foods should we definitely avoid? So the first one on my list is actually apple seeds. Apple seeds contain trace amounts of cyanide, and it, it really is a trace. So it's not the end of the world if you give your chickens whole apples and they and some of them eat a little bit of the seeds, but it's something to be aware of. I definitely wouldn't be letting them eat as much as they wanted of apples, uh, including the seeds. The, the next one on my list is asparagus. Apparently this can make their eggs taste kind of gross, so that's a good one. We also don't want to feed avocado. It contains a toxin called persin, which is very dangerous to chickens. And then it's also a good idea to avoid beans. So like dry and uncooked beans contain lectins and these are toxic to chickens. But if you soak, cook or sprout beans, it eliminates these toxins. So if you are a big sprouter, I know that people who keep... um, what I call inside birds, so parrots, parrotlets, um, canaries, things like that. A lot of those people sprout beans and grains as treats for their birds. And if you do that, you can offer those to your chickens. Obviously, we never want to offer anything with caffeine in it. So no chocolate, no coffee and no tea. Let's just keep that for ourselves. It's also recommended to avoid citrus. Um, An excess amount of vitamin C can reduce calcium absorption, which can lead to, you know, eggshell issues and bone issues. And then being mindful of things like dairy and yogurt. So chickens can't digest milk sugars, but very small amounts of yogurt can be offered on occasion to boost calcium intake. I've offered yogurt before for hens who are suffering from vent bleat or who I wanted to give them a little extra treat. So again, just be mindful. You can offer some yogurt. Greek yogurt in particular is great, but we don't want to be offering it all the time. Raw eggplant is completely out. Um, it's a Eggplant must be fully mature and completely cooked to be safe. So let's just avoid it. That's my <laughs> feeling on the matter. Onions as well, we don't want to feed those. They contain theosulfate, which can actually destroy red blood cells. Potatoes are another issue. They contain the toxin solanine, and this destroys red blood cells and can cause diarrhea and heart failure. Cooking potatoes does not eliminate this toxin, so no potatoes. Rhubarb is best avoided as well. It's part of the nightshade family and toxic. And then tomatoes are eh, up in the air here. So when they're unripe, they contain solanine. And once ripe, the solanine is minimal, but it's still present. So my rule would be don't feed green tomatoes, but for ripe tomatoes or overripe tomatoes, you can offer them in moderation. 
usually if I found that I got out to a tomato too late and it's overripe and it started to split open, I will throw that out into the back for my girls and let them find it while foraging. And so far, so good. Personally, I do offer greens, vegetables um, and fruits. Very uh, Fruits are very occasional, but I offer greens every day. I also try and offer grublies, which are the dried soldier fly larvae for protein. And then every few weeks, I offer as many live dubia roaches as the chickens can eat in five to ten minutes. Um, it's so much fun to feed them roaches. As gross as it is having to deal with the roaches, the chickens are like little dinosaurs hunting them down and eating them, and they just love it. I'd also like to make a point here that it's okay for me to feed them the roaches outside because our cold winters mean that this species can't become invasive. So I'm not risking my local ecosystem by having the roaches out. Um, sometimes I will offer an afternoon treat of rolled oats and scratch grains, but this is mainly something that I will do when it's quite cold. So not just in winter in general, but when winter is cold. I find that it just helps. Also, if I ever go in the nest box and I find a broken egg, I just feed it right back to the flock. And I will offer scrambled or boiled eggs as an occasional treat, although I usually reserve that for when I have a chicken in the house who needs extra care. Why did I choose this topic? Because it became very personal to me when in August of 2021, I lost my Easter egg hen Bobby to heat stroke which was caused by obesity. So let's talk about heat stroke or heat stress real quick. So this is when the core body temperature rises to dangerous levels. 115 degrees Fahrenheit is fatal to chickens. Age, size, weight, overall condition, access to cool water, air temperature and humidity all affect how quickly heat stress can occur. A chicken in the early stages of heat stress will try to move somewhere cooler and shaded, and this is often inside the coop. They will also be panting with their beak open and will often hold their wings away from their body to try and encourage the circulation of air to cool them. For Bobby, she had previously presented as lethargic. I examined her and I found that she had a messy kind of encrusted eye, which I cleaned. After cleaning this, she immediately brightened up and went back to the flock. So I assumed that this discomfort was the cause of her lethargy. When I actually found out that Bobby was fat, I was surprised because she was laying eggs right up until the day she died, which, as I stated previously, is very unusual for obese hens. The intermittent laying and eventually completely cessation of laying is one of the earlier signs that you have a fat hen. So how do I know, based on this then, that she was fat? I performed a necropsy. And this bit is a little graphic, so I'm not going to go into really gory details, but it might be upsetting for some people. So I would just skip ahead about three or five minutes, just be on the safe side if you want to avoid discussion of necropsies. For those of you sticking around, this is what I discovered. When I found her, she was still alive and obviously in heat stress. And I brought her in where it was cool, offered water and everything, but she died. 
very quickly. Her dead body was noticeably warm and hot to the touch, and her insides were even hotter. It was actually uncomfortable to reach my hand into her abdominal cavity during the necropsy, which was performed within an hour of her death. So she was baking, poor thing. And even before I experienced how hot she was, when I first cut into her, I noticed there was so much fat. She had a huge abdominal pad that was just, I've I've never seen anything like this on a hen before. And when I examined her organs, I also found that there was fat deposits on almost all of her internal organs, including her heart. And this level of fat would have made it so difficult for her to effectively cool off when we were having warmer weather. Now, obviously, seeing this hen who'd always looked to be in good condition and seeing this level of obesity, my first question was, what the heck happened? As far as I could tell, Bobby, she was offered the same food as my chickens and she wasn't, you know, I never saw her always around the feeder or always getting first in line for treats. She was just eating, it seemed, like any of the other hens. After she passed, I went out and I actually examined my hens for signs of obesity and all were in good condition. Some of the older girls were a little chonky, but nothing that I would need to worry about. As I said before, I have never seen this level of fat deposit in any of the other necropsies I've performed on chickens. Bobby free roamed, so she was definitely active. I would rarely find her just lazing around. In fact, if the flock was going to move off somewhere, she was almost always there in that first group ready to go exploring. So I had to ask myself things like, was it possible that Bobby was eating a lot more than the other hens? And I just didn't see this because I'm not watching them 24-7. And then what kind of confused me as well was that despite how extreme her obesity was, she never stopped laying eggs and she never had shell quality issues. She always produced beautiful, strong shells. So I have my diagnosis, um, obesity led to heat stroke, which led to death. What now? Well, Bobby's death shook me up a lot and it made me question my flock's entire diet. I started by looking much more closely at the protein and fat content in my feed. And then I turned to my books and that's part of how this episode was born. Um, I was very interested by what I read and I wanted to share it with my listeners. One of the biggest things I did was I stopped feeding scratch grain on oats on anything but very cold days and nights. I think I got into a bit of a habit of offering you like a handful um, in the afternoons and I just put a stop to that unless it was very cold. I also had developed this habit where I offered greens and protein in the mornings and then scratch grain before sundown. But now what I do is I don't feed them any treats at all until about 3 to 6 p.m. And those treats are predominantly uh, greens and then something low fat, but like a good amount of protein, like grublies. I don't offer grain. 
Uh, I also have started putting an old box fan out on very hot or humid days. So there's constant movement of air throughout the run. And the chickens will have the option of sitting in front of this fan, which they do. I'm considering purchasing shade cloth to um, cover part of the run. My run is partially covered with tarp for like waterproofing reasons, but I think adding some shade cloth might, would also help making sure that there's additional areas that stay cooler in the summer. Now we had some very hot days this past summer and I made a note to really keep a close eye on my hens, especially the heavy bodied and super fluffy Orpingtons. Thankfully, the fan out there definitely seemed to help and I would see them like in the shade in front of the fan, just kind of relaxing. I was extra diligent about making sure they had ample water available at all times. So I doubled up on waterers for each coop and run. And on very, very hot days where it was absolutely miserable out, I would feed cooling treats like frozen veggies or frozen berries. Oh, also watermelon. That's always a crowd pleaser and it also helps cool them down. So that is my long overdue episode on obesity in chickens. I hope you found it informative. I still don't really understand how Bobby managed to get as fat as she did compared to the other hens, but at least this experience led me to really dig deeper into what I feed my chickens and what their overall activity levels are. I hope that my experience might be useful to you and that you will maybe take a different look at what you're feeding your flock and decide what works and what doesn't. Thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate you sticking with me. I think even though this episode wasn't super long, my next episode is probably going to be another farm story. I haven't quite decided on which one yet, but possibly on barn cats and trap neuter release programs, which I had a little bit of experience with recently and I'm looking forward to discussing with everyone. So I hope wherever you are, whether you are going through winter like us or if you're in the other hemisphere and you are in the middle of a beautiful summer, I hope that you're all doing great and you're healthy and you're enjoying your gardens and your chickens and your bees and all your critters. I hope you'll join me again for another farm story uh, next week. And until then, remember, hug your hens and then wash your hands. Bye bye.